Is the red light on? <laughs> yeah, I put a new one in. Zippity doo da. Is there a light? No, I just want sound. Is it working? Are the lines moving? They wiggling? There you go. Well done, sister. So, you want some exercise, Carol? Um, My glasses are in my office. I can't see in my Bible at all. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 10 tonight. I invite you guys to open up. It would be bad if I had them in my pocket, wouldn't it? (laughs) Never mind. Huh. God have mercy on <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to tell her one of you guys gave them to me. All right, 2 Kings chapter 10. We are uh, come to a section of Scripture that is a place where we see a fulfillment of a word that God gave through Elijah. You guys remember Elijah he had that big battle with all the priests of Baal, you remember, and he proved that God was real. Fire came from heaven. The other God, he didn't answer. And so the, there's this amazing victory. And, and Elijah, as he's rushing back to, to go into Samaria and proclaim it to all the people, he passes Ahab's chariot and he runs into Jezebel. You remember Jezebel, right? She died last week, but she was still alive then. Jezebel, he runs up to Jezebel. And Jezebel, after knowing the truth and seeing the fire from heaven and knowing that God is real and that God exists beyond all irrefutable proof, She still said, sorry sis, she still said, if you're not dead this time tomorrow, then I need to be dead this time tomorrow. Is it it not boggle your mind the things people will do? Here's what Jesus said, and I think it's something that we have to come to grips with. Jesus said, when he told a a story, remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man and Lazarus, uh, they both die. And the rich man, he goes... To a place of torment. And, and Lazarus, he goes to Abraham's bosom, paradise. And as he's there, the rich man sees Lazarus way on the other side of this chasm. They can't get to one another. But he just asks Abraham, Abraham, would you send Lazarus over here so he could just put one drop of water on my tongue? And Abraham said, brother, you know we can't come to you. You can't come to us. We're We're separated. And he said, well, will you do this for me then? Will you send Lazarus to my brothers? They're still there, and there's still time for them to, to live their life, to come to faith, to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Will you go tell, go tell my brothers, have Lazarus arise from the dead right in front of them. And Abraham said, they have Moses, and they have the prophets. And if they won't believe them, neither will they believe even if one rises from the dead. We were talking on Saturday at our apologetics class that we we have in here that one of the most irrefutable facts of the ancient world is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's really absolutely no point in arguing it. There are so many eyewitness accounts, both biblical and extra-biblical, that the, the fact... Is irrefutable. You can choose, like Jezebel, to say, I don't care. Doesn't matter. I'm still going to do what I'm going to do. And that's really how Jezebel was. 
And Elijah's heart was so broken, so broken that he provided irrefutable proof as though one raised from the dead. I mean, you think about it. Stand outside, fire from heaven comes out of the sky, hits the ground, takes all the rocks, the dirt, the sacrifice, everything all covered with water, slurps it all back up into heaven. You saw it. But she still didn't believe. The Bible says, Elijah is so depressed he turns and runs as hard as he can until he collapses in the middle of the desert somewhere. And then the Bible tells an angel comes to Elijah and gives him some bread and gives him some water. And the, the Bible tells that Elijah got up and ran for 40 days. I'm sure we have maybe a, a runner in here someplace. Any runners? I know Caleb's a runner. <laughs> but I will never run for 40 days. If a bear is chasing me, I'm laying down and letting him eat. That's how much I hate to run. Oh, come on, Jackie, you might like it. No, listen. I did four years in the Marine Corps. I ran more in four years than you have ever thought of running. We ran every single day. At least three, sometimes five miles, sometimes a couple more, every single day for four years. When I got out of the Marine Corps, I said, I will not ever run again. And so far, I have been able to keep that promise. Now, some of you look at me and say, Jackie, may might think about running a little. No, I don't care. I don't care. Kathy's happy. I'm happy. It's all good. I will not ever run for 40 days. But Elijah's heart is so twisted up inside of him, he runs for 40 days, and he comes to a little cleft in a rock. It's not really a cave. The, the, the word there in the Hebrew is a word for a cleft. It's, a, it's like a, a crevice, a deep crevice you could get back into out of the sun and and into the darkness. But he gets into that cleft and he runs into the rock. And I love what God says. God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Yeah. What are you doing here? Elijah said, oh, I have been so faithful and nobody believes. And he, you know how we get when we get into, I don't know, maybe you guys have never experienced a pity party, but... When, when or if you've ever been in a, hit, a pity party, you, you, everything's bad, right? You can't see anything good, and, and Elijah can't see anything good, and God tells him a couple of good things, but Elijah just can't get over the fact, and ultimately what he wants in his heart is to see God's judgment. Judge them. They won't believe. Judge them. Burn them. That reminds me of the first motorcycle gang in the Bible. You guys know there was a motorcycle gang in the Bible. They are two brothers, James and John. The name of their club was the Sons of Thunder. They were with Jesus in Samaria, the same place where Jezebel was. And Samaria didn't like Jesus being around. So they said, Jesus, shall we call down fire from heaven to devour these people? And Jesus said, you guys, you don't even know what spirit you are. That's where Elijah was. Judge them. You ever felt that way? You ever been so angry at somebody who burnt you or so upset about something that you wanted judgment to fall? 
man, I, I try to, I try to, I try to temper my desire for justice and judgment because uh, that, by the way, is a horrible thing coming from God. When that judgment comes, everybody dies. Everybody. I'm not looking forward to that day. You read the end of the Bible before? Revelation chapter 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and 13, everything from chapter 6 on. By the time, before you get to the midway point, half of the world's population is dead. Not saved. Dead. That's judgment. Jesus, when he came, he said, I did not come to the world to condemn the world. Why? Do you know why? Because it's already condemned. No point. Every man is guilty of offending the all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty, and purely holy God. Every man stands guilty. Jesus didn't come to condemn. What did he come to do? To save. To whosoever would believe on his name. To them gave he the power to become the sons of God. To whoever would believe upon his name. Man, we, we don't want justice. We don't want judgment. We want grace and mercy. And we want to be a people of grace and mercy. We're going to read a couple chapters tonight. When we do, it's going to be this person dies, this person dies. All these people get killed. They cut off their heads. They put them on pikes. Everybody comes by to look at them. That's justice. Justice is not that thing that they make you believe when you watch a TV show that somebody just got what they deserved. And then that never happens. According to God, if he brings judgment, judgment comes on everybody. The living, the dead, all. And his judgment is pure and holy and right. So Elijah's in the cave. I want judgment. So God shows him three pictures of judgment. You guys remember the pictures, right? The Bible says there was a mighty wind so hard that it tore the rocks. Do you remember what the scripture said? God wasn't in the wind. Mighty earthquake. God wasn't in the earthquake. A terrible fire. God wasn't in the fire. Then there was the gentle silence. And God spoke again and said to Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, you got a job to do. People out there that are perishing every moment that you're here in the cleft of this rock, hiding from the one thing that God's called him to do. And then God said to Elijah, Elijah, there's three people I want you to anoint. I want you to anoint Hazael. Hazael, last week we saw, became the king of the Syrian kingdom. And God said, Hazael is going to be my hand of judgment upon the people. Then he says, I also want you to anoint Jehu. Jehu becomes king of the northern kingdom. 
the kingdom that wasn't never doing so good. They called that kingdom Israel. And he said, whoever Hazael doesn't kill, Jehu will. And then he said, I want you to go and anoint Elisha. And he said, whoever Jehu doesn't kill, Elisha will. Three pictures of God's judgment were going to come. God's judgment is always going to come. But I think we as God's people ought not to ever be looking for it. Unless you like these chapters, I don't really like them. I read to a point and I'm like, man, what's the point of, of what we're reading? God's justice is terrible and holy and right. Not that these people weren't guilty, they were guilty. But about halfway through it, we realize, you know, I really don't want justice. <laughs> I really don't want judgment. I want mercy. I want grace. I want a relationship with the one true, mighty, and holy God that I can have if I'm willing to, to submit myself to him to receive the gift of his son. And that's what we have in chapter 10 and 11. We have the judgment of Jehu. Let's take a look. Chapter 10 begins by laying out for us. Uh, now Ahab had 70 sons in Samaria. That's a lot of kids, right? And Jehu, he wrote and sent letters to Samaria to the rulers of Jezreel. Now remember, Samaria and Jezreel was the capital of Israel. That's where the king's seat was. Jehu is now trying to take the power of the throne. So he writes him a letter. This is what he says. As soon as this letter comes to you, since your master's sons are with you, and you have chariots and horses, a fortified city and weapons, choose the best qualified of your master's son, set him on his father's throne, and fight for your master's house. Jehu says, I'm coming to take the kingdom. I already killed two kings. The king of Israel and the king of Judah. Jehu's already killed them last couple chapters. Now he says, I'm coming there and he has 70 sons. I don't care which son you pick. Pick one. Pick the best one. Give him the best armor, the best chariot, the best horse and send him out here. And I'll fight him for the kingdom. So Jehu has told the cities what he's going to do. I'm coming. The, the terrible, swift judgment of God riding on the back of Jehu. Listen, I don't want to blow your minds, but you know that God uses things for judgment that don't really belong to him? Well, you know, Jehu's not a, he's a servant of God because he does God's bidding in this case, but he's not a believer. He's not someone who trusts God. He's not someone who's going to live for the Lord. He's not someone who's going to bring revival. He's just a tool. Just like Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Just like Shennacherib in Assyria. He's just a tool of judgment. So, so here Jehu is waiting. He says, I'm going to come. You send out the best one. Look what it says. Verse 4. But they were exceedingly afraid and said, Look, two kings could not stand up to him. How then can we stand? That phrase, how then can we stand, comes up about three or four different times in the book of Revelation. 
How can we stand before what? The judgment of God. Who can stand? God answers that question in Revelation chapter 7. He takes and seals 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel with the seal of God on their forehead and they're able to stand. None of the wrath of God touches them. God knows how to deliver the righteous out of judgment. Who can stand? How can we stand before this judgment? And he was in charge. He was in charge of the house and he was in charge of the city. The elders also and those who reared the sons sent to Jehu saying, We're your servants. We'll do whatever you tell us, but we will not make anyone king. Do what is good in your sight. So Jehu wrote a second letter and said, If you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men your master's sons and come to me at Jezreel by this time tomorrow. Now the king's sons, 70 persons, or with the great men of the city who were rearing them. So they're being raised. You know some of these sons are kids, right? These are not all adults. Some of them are. Some of them are kids. You remember the story of Jonah, the prophet? You remember? God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? He said, go to Nineveh and I want you to... Because to, I'm going to bring judgment on Nineveh. You guys remember? And Jonah hated Nineveh, right? Nineveh was the, the capital of Assyria. He hated Nineveh. They were bad people. They were horrible. They weren't any good. Probably they had killed people in Jonah's own family. So Jonah said, I'm not going to go. He got on a boat and he went the other way, right? Everybody remember the story, Jonah and a whale? All of a sudden there's a crazy storm. And all the sailors are freaking out. What are we going to do? And I know, I know Jonah's thinking, oh, see, this is God. He's going to bring this storm and make them turn the boat around. And we're going to go back the other way. And so Jonah says, oh, that's fine. He goes to the sailors and he says, this storm is my fault. If you throw me in the water, the storm will stop. And why do you think Jonah did that? Because he cared about the sailors? I don't think so. Why did he do it? Throw me in the water and let me drown and let God try to send me then when I'm dead. I'm not going. I wonder what flashed through his mind when before he hit the water, some big old fish jumped up and ate him. I wonder what was going through his mind while he was sitting in that fish belly. Now, not like the cartoons, guys, sitting there with a campfire roasting baked beans over the fire that's not how jonah was going he's all stuck in this fish's belly all tight with the acid of the fish's stomach eating all his hair off and bleaching his skin pearly white and the fish swims over to nineveh and pukes him up on the beach and jonah preached a, a great message he spent a lot of time developing his message you remember the message of jonah in 40 days, God's going to kill y'all. Amen. And he left. <laughs> this is much shorter messages back then, huh? So, so what happens is, Jonah goes up on top of this hill, and, and the king, hearing that, takes off his royal robes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, gets on his knees and repents. And he says, all the people follow me. So all the people take off their stuff, put on sackcloth, dump ashes on their head, and they repent to God. And, and 
God relents. And Jonah's up on that cliff and he's mad. Oh, man. I knew God was going to forgive them. God, I just don't understand what he's thinking all the time. Do you remember what God said to him? Hey, Jonah, there's 10,000 people in that city that don't know their left hand from their right hand. So you tell me, what kind of people don't know their left hand from their right hand? God is saying, there are children down there. Why bring my judgment? You remember Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Everything dies. Everything. I don't want that. Judgment of God. Seventy kids of Ahab. Old and young. And the people who were taking care of them killed them. Yet, have you figured out yet that friends who are friends of the world, not friends who are among the body of believers, don't always have your best interest at heart? Sometimes, unfortunately, even friends who are part of the body of Christ forget who they are. But that should never be said about us. It should never, ever be said, ever, that we would hurt or burn or even leave our own behind. It don't mean we won't get the cattle prod out and try to get you moving. But that's different altogether. But I'm not going to come lop off your head and throw it out in the street like these guys did for them. Seventy sons that they raised. Seventy sons. Look what it says. It says in verse 7, So it was when the letter came to them that they took the king's sons and slaughtered them. Seventy persons. They put their head in baskets and sent them, uh, sent them to him at Jezreel. And a messenger came and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. That's the entrance into the city. Well, see, when they built cities back then, they would build the city on a 90-degree road. You would enter into the gate, and it would make a sharp 90-degree turn, and another sharp 90-degree turn, because you don't want an army who can just, you know, in the movies, you just come through the drawbridge, and you're in the middle of everything. Well, you're never going to find anything like that in the real world. In the real world, there was 90-degree turns so that they could still defend if they lost the walls. They would still have an ability to fight. Right in the middle of the gate, the king deposited 70 heads of the sons of Ahab. God said to Ahab, the blood you shed to, to take this field from this innocent man is going to be paid for by you and your sons. The Bible tells us that the rock without hands, in, in Daniel, in Daniel uh, chapter 3, we, we see a dream by Nebuchadnezzar of this mighty statue, and, and it, the Daniel comes to tell him that it's the kingdoms of, the, of this age, and a, and a rock cut out, made in the heavens, without hands, flies down and hits the statue at the feet and turns it to powder. In the New Testament, Jesus lays out, and, and, and Peter and, and the apostles continue the concept, 
And they say that the stone that you have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The chief cornerstone. And they say, either you will fall on that stone and be broken, or that stone will fall on you and you'll be crushed. Ahab, God reached out to Ahab so many times. So many times he sent Elijah's prophet. He showed him incredible miracles. He did incredible things in his life. He had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You keep telling God no. And one day, Jehu shows up. One day, it's payday. And payday had come. The heads of the king's sons were all in the street. So it was in the morning that he went out and stood and said to all the people, You are righteous. Indeed, I conspired against my master and killed him. But who killed all these? Know now that nothing shall fall to the earth of the word of the Lord, which the Lord spoke concerning the house of Ahab. For the Lord has done what he spoke by his servant Elijah. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab. In Jezreel, all his great men and his close acquaintances, and his priests, until he left none remaining. Now, we, sometimes you can read this and you think, oh, Jehu, man, he's, he's talking for God. No, he's not. Jehu don't care at all about God. Right now, the Bible's back in him. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever heard people use the Bible for whatever they want to use the Bible for? That's all Jehu's doing. Jehu has come to power. He is the tool of God that God's going to use to bring judgment to the northern kingdom and and to the southern kingdom. He gets the southern kingdom on track. The northern kingdom is sideways. And he's, he's using Jehu as that tool. But Jehu don't care about God at all. It just fits his purpose right now. Oh, see, I am the instrument of destruction. (laughs) So. I'm, I, am, I am God's right-hand man to get the job done. A lot of people have talked like that. Doesn't mean they belong to God. It doesn't mean that... It does sometimes fall in that they are part of God's plan, ultimately, always, for what God's working out. That's what Jehu's saying. Verse 12, it says, He arose and departed and went to Samaria. And on the way... At Beth Aked of the shepherds, Jehu met with the brothers of Ahaziah, king of Judah. Now, Jehu had killed Ahaziah earlier. Now he comes into Ahaziah's brothers. Now, Ahaziah's brothers really don't have much to do with Ahab, except that Ahab's daughter was married to Ahaziah, so they're cousins. They're cousins, not sons. Cousins, and these guys are on their way to go to Samaria to visit their cousins. They don't know they're all dead. You know, they didn't have Facebook back then. So when crazy things happened, the news didn't travel quite as fast. So they're on their way. It's a bad day for them. So they answered and said, We're the brothers of Ahaziah, and we have come down to greet the sons of the king and the sons of the queen mother. So he said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and killed them all. At the will of Beth Ekhed, 42 men and left none of them. So they slaughtered all of them. Slaughtered the 70 sons of Ahab and his 42 cousins. Killed them all. Now when he departed from there, he met Jehanadab, the son of Rechab, 
coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart right as my heart is toward your heart? Jehonadab is a, a representative. He's a mystic prophet. And he, uh, he, we, we see him on the pages of uh, Jeremiah. He, he appears in the prophets, Jeremiah. But here he is. He represents a man of God. And Jehu comes to him and says, Hey, you know, you and me, are we okay? I really, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm God's instrument. And so, Scripture tells us that Jehonadab answered and says, It is. And Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and he took him up into the chariot. Now, now he starts seeing Jehu become all about the show. He's traveling around with the man of God in his chariot, telling the people, Yeah, you know, I'm the, I'm the guy. And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they had him ride in his chariot. That's the first chink in the armor of Jehu. Listen, doing things for God that you want everybody to see speaks of a problem in your heart. There's poison in you. Motivation's a big deal. You guys all remember my story about motivation with the 12 disciples? Jesus was teaching them. You remember, right? They're down at the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus says to them, Hey, guys, pick up a rock. We're going to carry this rock today. So the guys are all reaching down, picking up a rock, and Peter looked over, and he grabbed his little bitty stone. Just a little bitty one he could put in his pocket. He picked up a stone, put it in his pocket. It was not hard to carry at all. They got up on top of that mountain that overlooks the Sea of Galilee, and they got up on top of that mountain... Everybody was tired. It's lunchtime, you know, and, and they're looking around at each other because nobody brought any food with them. And they get up there and Jesus said, okay, guys, take out those rocks. And he turned all those rocks to bread and he said, there's your lunch. Well, Peter's was over way too quick. So after lunch, Jesus said, hey, everybody, pick up a rock. We're going to go back down the mountain. Peter said, well, I know how this works now. So he went over and found a big old boulder, barely able to even pick it up. But he knew he was going to be hungry later. So he grabbed that boulder and he heaved it up, got it to his shoulder. And down the mountain they went. And they got down to the bottom of the mountain. Up against the shore of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus said. Okay guys, throw them rocks into the water. Peter heaved his into the water, but he had a look in his eyes like, what? I thought that was dinner, Lord. And the Lord said, Peter, I asked you to carry a rock for me. Who are you carrying the rock for? Who are you doing the service for? Who are you cleaning the church for? Who are you doing the dishes for? Who are you serving the people at Bread of Life for? If you do it for the Lord, you don't care what anybody else says or what anybody else sees or if anybody else even knows what you've done. Jesus said, the things that you've done in secret, my Father sees and he will reward you openly. But if you're looking for a reward here, that's all the reward you're ever going to get. 
Isn't that a horrible thing to trade for the praise of God? You know that day when we stand before God and God says, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your master's rest. You know that day. On that day, will you trade that moment, that moment of, of bliss before Almighty God as you stand before Jesus Christ and as he proclaims your value to the kingdom? Will you trade all that for a slap on the back or a paycheck? I think on that day, that seemed like a pretty small thing. In comparison. Well. Man Jehu's making a mess. He's making a mess. He's wiping guys out right and left. But you have the man of God there with him. But Jehu's heart would begin to see his issue. He wants everybody to see him. Everybody to think he's holy. Everybody to think he's righteous. You know we, we get that disease in the church today right. Everybody puts on their little happy face when they go to church. So we're not all happy, are we? Some of us are bent. Some of us are upset. Some of us need prayer. Some of us are so weighed down with pride we won't tell nobody. We'll just assume osmosis is going to float across the other side of the church and land in Jackie's head. If you're hoping for osmosis to come tell me you got a, a problem or a need, let me just... Make things easy for you. I'm clueless if you don't tell me. Unless God speaks it to me, I'm not ever going to know. We family or not? If we are, let us know. I help a lot of people I don't know. I'm happy to help somebody I do know. Jehu wants to be seen. He wants to receive the glory. He wants it to be all about him. So when he came to Samaria, he killed all who remained of Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed them according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken through Elijah. Then Jehu gathered all the people together and said to them, Ahab served Baal a little. Jehu will serve him much. Oh, here's the second chink in the armor of of Jehu. You want to know Jehu is not a man of God? When God uses a man of God to accomplish God's goals in his life, you need to understand how he does it. The weapons of the man of God, the weapons of his warfare, are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. You know what that means? Not that the man of God will be perfect, but the man of God will not lie, cheat, steal. He will not do whatever it takes because the ends do not justify the means. God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. By the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us, God is able to give us the victory he needs to give us his way. But Jehu, he starts to tell a story. Hey, get all them priests of Baal. Oh, Ahab loved Baal. I'm going to love Baal even more. Baal was a false god. They're all going to serve as false god. So Jehu starts his plan. He says, get all the people who worship Baal. Have them come. We'll have a big party. Now, therefore, call to me all the prophets of Baal, all his servants, all his priests. Let no one be missing, for I have a great sacrifice for Baal. Whoever is missing will not live. Oh, so now everybody thinks they got to go, right? You get that, right? 
If you don't come, I'm going to kill you. So, probably some people who were on the fence showed up. Don't you think? I don't know, Jehu who just put 70 heads in the gate. You know, they're in a pile over there. If he said he's going to kill you, he probably will. I better do what Jehu wants. So Jehu said, proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. So they proclaimed it. Then Jehu sent throughout all of Israel and all the worshipers of Baal came. So there was not a man left who did not come. So they came into the temple of Baal. And the temple of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said to the one in charge of the wardrobe, bring out the vestments for all the worshipers of Baal. So he brought out vestments for them. Now he gave them all pretty new robes. He dressed them in nice new robes. Then Jehu and Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, went into the temple of Baal and said to the worshipers of Baal, Search and see that no servants of the Lord are here with you, only the worshipers of Baal. So they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings. Now Jehu had appointed for himself eighty men on the outside, and he said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escapes, whoever lets him escape, it will be his life or the life of the other. Now it happened as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and the captains, Go in and kill him and let nobody come out. And they killed them with the edge of the sword and the guards and the officers threw them out and went into the inner room of the temple of Baal. And they brought the sacred pillars out of the temple of Baal and burned them. And they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and they tore down the temple of Baal and they made it a refuse dump to this day. Thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. By the way, verse 28 is good. All the ones before it, I'm not so sure. But that's how judgment is. Judgment takes the guilty. And there's nobody in that building who wasn't guilty. For that matter, there's nobody in this building who's not guilty. God only takes the guilty. But look at verse 29. However, you know something bad's coming when you read that word, right? Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Who had made Israel sin. That is the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. Remember when the kingdom first split. North and south. Israel north, Judah south. The king of the north was so afraid. That his people were going to go worship God in Jerusalem. That he instituted a mixed marriage of multiple types of worship. Yahweh, God, Jehovah. And he symbolized Jehovah with two golden calves, one in Bethel and one in Dan. And he said, now you don't need to go to the temple to worship, just here. Just come worship at these golden calves. And God said, because of that, his hand, his blessing wouldn't be with Jeroboam. And so Jehu shows that he doesn't want to follow the Lord at a sweeping revival and reform. Guys, in chapter 11, there's the same exact thing that happens in the south. Jehu takes over, the hand of judgment comes. Boom, all these people die, all this chaos, and nothing changes. 
At the end of the day, they're still all lost. At the end of the day, they're still worshiping the wrong gods. At the end of the day, they have not changed the heart of man one iota. All that happened is judgment came. In the south, in chapter 11, the same thing happens, but it's different. You know, there's not all the bloodshed. A couple people get killed. But not everybody's heads on pikes at the gate. Not all the craziness. And uh, revival starts. You know in the southern kingdom they tear down that same temple. But they don't kill everybody in it first. They just get rid of the priests. And they tear it down. And they, they make a, a king over them from the line of David. Who's seven years old. <laughs> His name's Joash. He. Turns out to be a pretty good king. And, and, a, and a totally different spirit is in the south. A different spirit that's pointing people toward a relationship with God. To returning to the, to the foundations of faith. Uh, setting aside the high places and forgetting about all those other stuff. And, and come to the Lord and seek God. And in one, in the southern kingdom there's a revival. And in the northern kingdom there's just a bunch of dead people. So what do we want? Do you want revival that brings life? Or judgment that brings death? You know the southern kingdom as that revival comes, you know that costs everybody something. Did you know? You want to see how unwilling people are to pay? Make two church times and set one for eight in the morning. Man, there's so much belly aching. Eight o'clock in the morning. That's my only day to sleep in. Man, that's cool. I'm so glad. God, on the day he was supposed to go to the cross, didn't say, you know, today is my day to sleep in. I don't have time today. Oh, we all got that stuff, right? It's not just, it's all of us. All of us have those things. Are we willing to, are we willing to pay the price to see that happen? Look, this Bible is full of prophecy that says the judgment of God is going to come and that the guilty are going to perish. And it's going to be worse than anything we've read yet in the Old Testament. God's word has also told us that we find ourselves currently in a period of grace. In a period of time where whosoever can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. It's not, it's not like it requires a ton of, of works or something. It just requires a change of heart. We got Washington telling us that they can change the nature of man by changing the law. Right? Oh, we can change the nature of man. Look, I will make everybody will have to have health insurance. And that's going to change everything. Do you believe that? I got health insurance. It's worthless. What good is it? 
You know what the doctor does when you have health insurance, don't you? Well, if I go to the doctor and I say, I'm paying cash, is it the same charge? Oh, so does health insurance work? It works for somebody. You cannot change the nature of man through legislation. You can't legislate morality to change. You can't do it. You can come up with all kind of rules, but a rule is not going to change nobody's heart. And we're just as guilty. We got lots of rules, don't we? I haven't found too many churches without rules. There's always some kind of rule, some kind of concept, some kind of order, you know, I don't know. Some of that's good, I suppose. Some of it's probably not, but. The only thing that's going to change the nature of a man is when Almighty God enters into a relationship with that man or woman. When they enter into a relationship with that man or woman, the Holy Spirit comes into their life and suddenly they have power that they never had before for change. Everything changes. You and I, we've got that. What do we do with it? A judgment's coming. The judgment's coming. It could be tomorrow. It could be any minute. I used to say when I was a kid, maybe some of you guys did this, when I was a kid, you know, I grew up in the church for a long time before I went crazy. I went crazy for a while. It took me about 13 years to find my way back to the church. But I, when I was in grade school, you know, I, I would always say, you know what? I'm going to be more of an example of what I believe in junior high. It'll be easier then. And then I was in junior high and I said, man, I'm going to be a better example of what I believe when I'm in high school. I just need a fresh start. And then high school was over. Now I'll be a better example in the Marine Corps. Now, <laughs> any of you guys know my story, you know that didn't work out at all. And I just kept putting it off. And kept putting it off. And kept putting it off. Maybe I'm frustrated or irritated. Maybe I'm like Elijah and I'm just hiding in the cleft of the rock. I'm good. I got what I need. I don't know. Our our world is sideways. I can't turn on the news out seeing this. People are all messed up. And I know, I know I have answer. Last night I was in jail, ministering to guys in jail. And I know every one of those guys, I got the answer to radically change their life. But how will they know if we don't tell them? Don't we all have a part to play in that? Matthew 28, what did Jesus say? That commission is not just to me, right? He says, go into all the world, make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even until the end of the age.
So when I read this stuff, I'm not stoked about judgment. But it does put a weight on my heart that says, you know, that, that gal I occasionally buy monsters from at the convenience store or at Texaco occasionally. Now and again, does she know the Lord? Or is all I care about getting another fix? And before you judge me too hard, you better take a look at the fingers pointing back at you. Maybe you don't drink monsters. Maybe you eat vegetables every day. Maybe you're the most healthy person on the planet. Then maybe the health food store lady. I don't know who it is, but there's somebody in each of our lives that we see every day, probably frequently, that we take the opportunity. Because the day Jehu shows up outside the city, that day's too late. Then judgments come. And I want to see God save. Do you know that's God's heart too? The Bible says that God does not glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. He doesn't want to bring Jehu. But you know, the date for Jehu was written a long time before by people's decisions. God knew Jehu was coming. So who did he send? The two greatest prophets on the pages of Scripture. Elijah and Elisha. What did they do? They stopped the heavens from raining. Then they started the heavens raining. They called fire down from heaven. They raised the dead to life. They cured the lepers. They did all these incredible things so that people would know that they were there to tell the people, repent. It's not our job to save anybody. That's Jesus' job. It's our job to tell. We got to tell the story. We got to share the truth. We share the truth. When Jehu comes, (laughs) people will be okay. When that judgment day comes, it'll be okay. John chapter 14, Jesus said, He said, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to bring you unto myself, that wherever I am, there you will be also. That's a promise. No matter what. God's got a place for you. And if he's got a place for you, I read Revelation and it talks about the new Jerusalem, the abode of believers. You guys ever read that scripture in Revelation chapter 21, 20, 21? It comes down out of heaven a cube. Roughly the size of the moon. Um, But... It has 12 levels, and people don't just live on the outside. 
they live all the way through the middle. Some guy smarter than me, he, he, he took the measurements from Revelation and he, he figured out the square footage of this new Jerusalem. <laughs> and he figured it is big enough for every human being ever born. Do you understand? God made a place big enough for everybody. Everybody won't go. But God made the place big enough. We got a job to do. Jesus is coming soon. Jehu, he's on his way too. I don't know what we'll call him then. But if we're going to be prepared for what is coming, then we got to do the one job God gave us to do. Go and tell. Don't be afraid. We don't live in Iran. Nobody's going to put you in heaven prison. Nobody's going to beat you every day like Saeed. They might call you a name, tell stories about you. That's not too big a price, right? Not too big a price. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you tonight. Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word, God, for what your word declares. Lord, I pray that our hearts are prepared to be the men and women you want us to be, God, that you would do the things you want us to do, that we would be set with a purpose. The purpose that says, man, I just want to be doing what God is asking me to do. God, give us that power from your Holy Spirit. Give us the ability to be witnesses. That's what the Spirit was given for. Oh, Lord God, we, we, we got a job to do, like Elijah and Elisha before us. Lord, the book of James tells us Elijah was a man just like us who prayed. I pray we would be men and women who pray. Who pray like Peter did. Lord, give me boldness. Give me boldness to share your truth wherever I go. And I pray that this place would be shook. And your spirit would come upon the people and fill them with boldness. The only thing that can change our neighbors, can change my life, that can change this world up at all, is if they have a relationship, not a religion, a relationship with Jesus Christ. The God of the universe moves inside of their life and begins to change them from the inside out. God, I pray you would do that with our president. I pray that you would do that with those men and women in control in Congress and the Senate and in all the different areas and branches of service within our government. God, I pray that you do it in my neighbor. I pray that you would move. And I pray that our country would be a picture of the southern kingdom that moves into revival and not the northern kingdom that moves into judgment. And I pray through it all, God, that you would be glorified and magnified as we present ourselves to you. Here I am. Fill me.
use me, be glorified in and through it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
wonderful, oh God, there is no one more wonderful, you are wonderful, God, you are the most wonderful, you are glorious, you are glorious, you are glorious, oh God, there is no one more glorious, you are glorious, God, you are the most glorious. I delight myself in you, the glory of your presence. church to do what she's called to do and we give you praise and glory for it in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.